Hello, this is Ian Wolfe, producer of Diffusion Science Radio. This show depends on your support. Please make a donation directly with the PayPal button at www.diffusionradio.com or support Diffusion by downloading a free audiobook from audibletrial.com science or go to diffusionradio.com support and click on an Amazon link or buy my nano drones. The International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Hacker Gong and the Biofoundry. But first up, here's the news. Water, who needs it? After the Liberal National Federal Government sacked half of its climate scientists, the Liberal National State Government of New South Wales has sacked 80 of its 270 water safety experts over four months. Most recently, five of its six most senior scientists. The sixth senior scientist has been demoted to an advisory role. By an amazing coincidence, this firing happened after the scientists released a report warning that the expansion of Wollongong Coal's Russell Vale underground coal mine near the Cataract Dam could drain and waste over 7 million litres of water every day. The Lake Cataract catchment is one of the key water resources for the Illawarra and MacArthur rural regions and a backup reservoir for Sydney. Don't annoy the miners. Rain feeds into the cataract reservoir through catchment in local swamps, which act like giant sponges, ensuring water flows to the dam in dry times. Water scientists from Water New South Wales point out that these swamps are on top of sandstone, so that when the coal mine is dug underneath, all it takes is the smallest crack for the swamps to drain dry into the coal mines. The damage is irreversible. From 1993 to 1998, Sydney Water's operating budget was cut by 25% as it was corporatized. In 1998, Sydney's water supply was contaminated by the Cryptosporidium and Giardia pathogens. At the time, many people became sick and some were hospitalized. Everybody was advised to boil their drinking water for weeks. I still do. The chairman and director of Sydney Water resigned. After an inquiry, the Sydney Catchment Authority was created by the New South Wales State Government to monitor and preserve the safety of Sydney's water supply and rainfall catchment areas. The New South Wales State Government has merged the Sydney Catchment Authority with the State Water Corporation to form Water New South Wales. A spokesman for the New South Wales Government Minister for Water, Neil Blair, denied that firing the scientists was done to cut costs. Their statement said, 
This is about streamlining corporate functions to achieve greater efficiency while enhancing the quality of frontline services. The efforts to protect water will not diminish, the minister promised. The efforts may not be good enough. Water New South Wales supplies water to over 4 million people. Can they still keep the water safe from infection and the mining industry without their senior experts? Slime moulds. Half slime, half mould. Totally interesting. Despite having no nervous system or any organs, slime moulds appear to intelligently interact with their environment, making decisions, choosing directions, solving mazes, and forming simple logic circuits. Understanding how slime moulds operate can teach us a lot about the nature of intelligence, emerging complexity, and network optimization. Sydney Biofoundry have organised a screening of The Creeping Garden, which explores the science and art of slime moles and those that love them. You can watch a trailer at www.creepinggarden.com, which will be embedded on the episode page at diffusionradio.com. The movie will be shown on Wednesday, March the 16th. Tickets are $10 plus a booking fee, and each ticket also gets you a free slime mold culture kit. Grow your own slimy friend. You can buy tickets at the door, but buying online guarantees you a slime mould to take home. All profits from this event will be donated back to the Biofoundry and the Red Rattler Theatre, both awesome community initiatives. listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Travis Wall is an organiser for Hackagong, the Wollongong Hackathon. He's studying a PhD in design thinking and project development process at the University of Wollongong. Hackagong is the largest independent hackathon in Australia and has been running since 2012. I met him at a busy Sydney biohacker meetup and began by asking what sort of hacking happens at Hackagong. So Hackagong is very, very open in what people can do. It's very multidisciplinary. So we see people making all kinds of things. We see a lot of screen-based stuff, our traditional if you want to call it traditional software development stuff. Our game making has always been popular, so we have a lot of people making games. We have a 3D printing competition, and we delivered that a few years ago, and that was really popular, and that's been growing every year. We see people doing all kinds of weird experiments with software and hardware and mixing. Two, we've seen people make board games We've seen biohacking, and that's something that we're looking to expand more in 2016, actually. So yeah, Hackagong is 
nothing in particular. It's people making stuff and people getting projects happening and experimenting with tech. It's about getting people building stuff with tech. Is it a competition? So it, it is a competition. There's multiple competitions happen. So the game makers compete to make the best game. So there's a prize for that. There's a 3D printing competition. There are competitions for whatever might be interesting at the time. We've seen Internet of Things competitions. We've seen competitions around futurism and all sorts of things. So there's lots of sort of sub-competitions, mini-competitions, and there is a overall grand prize for the winner of Hackagong as well. So lots of prizes, lots of competitions, lots of prizes. I think uh, last year was um, over $100,000 worth of prizes. So it's sponsored then? Yeah, so it's sponsored. It's sponsored. The last few years, the sponsor has been WiseTech Global, and they've been really good partners. All the competitions are sponsored by people. So that's generally sponsors will provide a prize that the competitors will compete for. So, like for example, the 3D printing competition. Usually, you know, we find some 3D printers to to give to the winners of that. And what are your favourite things that have come out of Hackagong so far? <laughs> My favourite things. I've seen lots of really interesting things come out. Things that weren't particularly successful, but were just a cool idea. I think my, my favourite thing that came out, probably if, if, if you're really going to push me, it would be a project that came in 2013 called Side Projectors. And it was a platform for people to... Um, put the side projects on that they'd been working on and they could potentially sell them on there. And I, I really like the projects. It's my favourite projects because of the way that it came about. It was a single guy working on it. So typically at Hackagong we have teams, teams of people working on things. But this was just one guy and he was sitting there and we were sort of like, oh, I wonder what he's working on. And, um, and then uh, he, he produced this and... I think it was really cool to see that, to see what an individual can produce like that. But as well, like it's good to see the, to, to see teams developing things. Uh, but I think that, that was my favourite project, just for sort of the way that it came about. Uh, so it was the platform for, for selling side projects. And I think it's still, it's still online. If you search for side projectors, you should be able to find it. And what about the biohackers? So the, the biohackers last year were very successful and I think they've really, they've really shown us that biohacking is a really is a strong development path for hackathons and what can happen at hackathons. And I think they're a really good example of the cool stuff that can be done in a weekend. And we're really keen on growing the biohackers as a prominent segment of the hackathon. Hackagong is going to grow in 2016 and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And again, the last few years we've really, we've been experimenting with different spaces for hackathons. The 3D printing hackathon was really successful. The biohackers have been very successful at Hackagong. So we're really looking at developing the diversity of Hackagong in 2016. 
sort of looking looking to develop those avenues, as well as keeping the traditional base of Hackagong, the software developers developing screen-based products. But yeah, we're, we're, we're really looking at developing those niches and developing them into, into something really big and really diversifying Hackagong in 2016. And where should people look online for Hackagong? So Hackagong, if you go to hackagong.com, you'll be able to find stuff there. Facebook is good. Twitter is good. We're responsive on, on both of those platforms. I think those are the best places to head um, and start, start from there. There should be a lot more news for Hackagong 2016 coming out over the, uh, the next couple of months, um, particularly sort of March, April. There should be a lot, of, a lot of stuff coming there. I can say around that time we'll be starting to look for people who might be wanting to bring their own hackathon to Hackagong. Uh, we, we're looking at ways that we can open up the event to uh, independent organisation of hackathons within the hackathon. So if you have a look at the Facebook and Twitter feeds through March, April, uh, you'll be able to, to see ways that you can get involved and do that. Well, Travis, thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me. That was Travis Wall talking about Hackagong. You can find out more at hackagong.com. And now we return to a friend of the show, Meow Ludo Meow Meow, co-founder and executive director of the do-it-yourself citizen science biohacking Biofoundry. I spoke with him at the latest Sydney Biohacker Meetup and asked him what has the Biofoundry been up to since we last spoke. Biofoundry has had a huge year. We moved from our first space, which kind of got everyone together, uh, into a new space, which was a little bit cheaper per week and a little bit more space. And then we moved internally in that same space into a very suitable space that we could actually turn into a PC1 lab without too much effort. So what is a PC1 lab? So we are just about to apply for PC1 certification and PC stands for physical containment. So a PC1 space is a, a box that has a certain amount of containment that will stop things from getting out or things from getting in. So most low-level experiments require a PC1 lab. Mid-level experiments, but still within the reach of an amateur, would be PC2. So, for example, if I wanted to do some basic research on human cells, I would need a PC2 lab. If I want to do any experiments where I modify a plant, PC2 lab. PC3 and PC4 are generally restricted to pathogens. So in the DIY space, we're never going to be looking at a PC3 or PC4 lab, but we definitely would be interested in doing PC2 stuff because once you get to a PC2 lab, anything cool you want to do, you're going to be able to do there. A PC1 lab is is for like what I would call high school level biotech. Maybe like you can still do a decent startup out of it. You can do um, basic biotechnology on on things like yeast and microbes. Um, If you wanted to, there's some animal and insect stuff you can do, but I I, I would just say like, not really. Like it's, it's very complicated, but PC1 is cool to do a lot of basic experimentation, enough to get 
you could you could make a million dollar business out of it, but like hacking microbes is PC one, hacking cells on an animal and plant scale is probably PC two. Okay, so you're looking at getting certified as PC one very soon. Most definitely, we actually we meet the certification now, and the process from here is to speak to the Office of Gene Technology Regulator and get them to tick us off, and then from there we'll go to accreditation which is a higher level but it was still PC1 and when we offer that service we will then be able to tick off other groups activities so if they want to do PC1 activity or get a PC1 level lab with accreditation we can then go through and say oh hey you know you got a biotech startup we're going to help you out We'll tick off your, your work and say that this is exempt or it fits into this category and we can help you out doing that. Okay. And so what other projects, other than getting certified, what else has the Biofoundry been working on? We've got lots of exciting projects at the moment. So we've got Sandra who's working on a medical device that attaches to a mobile phone that's very interesting. We have a vegan meat project starting. So... Lab-grown meat is very topical and interesting at the moment. A lot of people are interested in producing lab-grown meat. One of the biggest problems, though, is that the reason that people do lab-grown meat is that they want to reduce suffering on animals. The serum you need to culture the cells involves the slaughter of animals. So we're looking at getting into the fetal bovine serum market by making a substitute for that that is actually vegan. So that there's no point creating a lab-grown meat patty if you killed a 1,000 cows or 1,000 calf fetuses to bring it to market. We're looking at going into that market, fixing that, and then bootstrapping our way from there to a lab-grown meat patty. So we, we, may, we may not be the first, but we will change the industry. Yeah. We also have an anti-mold paint we're developing. It's, it's in, in the process at the moment, but it is going to be a non-toxic anti-mold paint, which is very rare at the moment, and that's through one of our um, corporate sponsors, which is really cool. And Hackagong? Yeah, Hackagong, yeah. So Hackagong, we entered Hackagong in 2015, and we did really well. We, we were the first bio team to enter Hackagong, and we made some serious waves. People looked at our project and were blown away by the scale of the type of thing that we were trying to make. From a bio perspective, it wasn't huge, but from a hacking perspective, a lot of the programmers looked at what we were doing and were blown away that we would even try and hack something in that amount of time to do what we wanted to do. If you spoke to most biologists, they wouldn't have thought our project is that important, but to enter something which is, which is traditionally manufacturing and programming with a bio project, it, it really made people interested and want to see more of this. We won three out of nine prizes, which was really cool. Um, we got lots of recognition. We didn't take out number one, which we'll fix this year. Um, but we did um, do very well for ourselves. We got some really cool prizes. We won, some, we, we won the prizes we were going for, and we're very happy about it. Next year, we're probably going to be running one of the branches of Hackagong. So we're going to be looking at um, sustainability diagnostics and, and hopefully helping and working with them, which should be really cool. And the project that came out of it is still continuing. And if people want to 
uh, come along, they should check out foundry.bio, uh, join our Facebook group, Biohack Sydney. Also, uh, like Biofoundry page and find out when these events are coming out. We are currently in the process of bringing together the project and then working out what we need to do to get it to market. There's a lot of barriers we have to face for this. Strict re regulation within Australia for a medical device, but we're very excited about the project eventually getting to market and we've got a crew of about 15 people on it at the moment, which is pretty cool. Can you say what the project is? Yes, it's a an at-home sexually transmitted infection diagnostic device. So the, the idea is that you can swab yourself with this device, put it inside the device, and then within 20 minutes you can get a positive or negative screening test for a range of sexually transmitted infections. It's very impressive. Yeah. I believe you also have private investors uh, asking for projects to be done at the Biofoundry. Yes. Two of the projects I mentioned earlier on are people that want some research done and we're a charity. We connect the investors with undergraduate university students that want more experience. So we basically say to the investors that you can, you can do a project with us and you have very low costs, but you also enable students to get experience. And we can say to the students, listen, we, we don't have money to give to you but we do have some work. If you want to get your skills up, you can come along and then when you graduate, you can differentiate yourself from other students. And by pairing these two things together, we can cover our overheads and costs and allow two people to get to both benefit from that situation. So that, that's working very well for us at the moment. It's something we want to continue in the future. If you have a company and you want to bring it along, please do. And a project. If you have a project you'd like to commercialise through Biofoundry, with undergraduate students as your employees. We'd love to speak to you and, and commercialise that. It'd be fantastic. It's working really well at the moment. It takes a bit longer, but it's, it's definitely yielding positive results for both parties involved. Listen to Diffusion Science Radio. It's see. Well, meow, Ludo, meow, meow. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Ian. That was meow, Ludo, meow, meow, co-founder and executive director of the BioFoundry. You can find out more at foundry.bio. And finally, the 24-7 lectures from the Ig Nobel Prizes Ceremony from 2015, run by the Annals of Improbable Research. Prizes for science that first makes you laugh and then makes you think. 24-7 lectures. We have invited several of the world's top thinkers to tell us very briefly what they are thinking about. Each 24-7 lecturer will explain her or his subject twice. First, a complete technical description in 24 seconds. And then, after a brief pause, a clear summary that anyone can understand in seven words. The 24-second time limit will be enforced by our referee, Mr. John Barrett. Mr. Barrett, do you have any advice for our 24-7 lecturers? Gentlemen, keep it clean. <laughs> now, let's have the first group of 24-7 lecturers. The first 24-7 lecture will be delivered by a professor of evolutionary and behavioral ecology at Tufts University, author of the soon-to-be-published book Silent Sparks, The Wondrous World of Fireflies, Sarah Lewis.
Her topic, firefly sex. First, a complete technical description of the subject in 24 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Fireflies are beetles in the family Lamparidae that use bioluminescent signals to find mates. Flying males broadcast signals as they search for females who respond to intraspecific variation in male flash timing. Females prefer longer flashes and faster flash rates. Firefly females mate with multiple males, so post-copulatory sexual selection has driven males to invest heavily in nuptial gifts. These are nutritious sperm-containing spermatophores that females use to provision their eggs. Males with larger gifts benefit because they sire more offspring. And now, a clear summary that anyone can understand in seven words. On your mark, get set, go. Female fireflies favor fancy, food-filled flashers. You can find more seriously scientific silliness at improbable.com. You're still a citizen with the power to vote. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness, but it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively to promote peace and, and give the world freedom from want? It'll be up to you. And you too. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. I'm taking my first break in a decade. The next three shows will be from the best of Diffusion. Would you like to join Diffusion? We need more people contributing stories. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including two Triple H in Hornsby, Kringai, two MVR in Nambaka Valley, two XX in Canberra, and three MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, then you can explore more than 700 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. 
in the study of sciences found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. <laughs>